Well, grace and peace, everybody. It's Pastor Leon Bloater, and welcome to another edition of the Pastor Cast. In this particular podcast, we're going to be replaying a sermon that I preached all the way back in September 29th of 2019, just before the pandemic <laughs> hit us, just months before. Little did we know on September 29th of 2019 what was ahead of us. But it was I, as I was preaching this particular sermon, I had one thing in mind, I had a goal in mind, and that was to bring the vision of our church forward into a new year, to help our congregation stay connected to the vision that had unified us and had brought us to that particular point. And quite frankly, was a, it's a vision that got us through the entire pandemic. And that vision for our church is to love God and love everybody. It comes from the command that Jesus gave uh, to his followers when he told them what the greatest commandment was. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and to love everybody. This sermon is the love everybody part. And I thought that I would lead with that one because that's probably the most difficult part of that command that Jesus gave. And it's definitely the most difficult part of the vision of our church as we seek to love everybody, to try to do that in a way where we set a big table, where we have a big tent, where everybody is welcome and everybody has a space. So without further ado, let's dive right in to love everybody. Uh, we've got uh, the conclusion today of our two-part sermon series on the vision of our church. And we were focused on one passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 22. Uh, and in that passage, Jesus declares what the greatest commandment is. Uh, and in that passage, he reveals that it is essentially to love God and love everybody, which is the vision of our church. And so uh, last week, if you came, uh, you got a chance to hear a preacher say something that you probably have never heard a preacher say before, and that was to stop going to church. Like I told you, I wanted you to stop going to church, which for some folks, for a moment, a brief moment, until I turned everything upside down, it was the greatest day of their life. Uh, they were like, finally, right, I can stop going to church. Uh, but I want you to come to church. I want you to be here. I want you to be part of this so we can see one another face to face, so we can be encouraged by one another, and we could be resourced and equipped and worship together and do life together. I want you to be here. But what I want you to do is to stop going to church and just be the church. That's what we are after. Because church is not a destination. It's not a building. It's not a place that you go. It's who you are. And you and I, we are the church. We are this particular aspect of the body of Christ as the Apostle Paul who wrote like half of the New Testament he called the church the body of Christ the sort of representative uh, the embodiment of Christ here on earth and so for us in this particular corner of the world we are the embodiment of Christ we are the church now how do we do this here we are guided by our vision that vision to love God and love everybody now that phrase is not some warm and fuzzy, politically correct, touchy-feely kind of thing to say. It is one of the most difficult things that Jesus ever said. It's challenging beyond belief. Um, and we didn't just pull it out of thin air. 
It comes from the text. It comes from Matthew. It comes from other Gospels as well, as we're going to see today when we touch into Luke, uh, Luke's Gospel. The same story appears where he has this conversation and reveals the greatest commandment to love God and love everybody. So we didn't just pull it out of thin air. Uh, it's something that we are challenged as a church to be guided by. It is difficult uh, enough to love God, right? Uh, to really and truly turn ourselves and surrender ourselves to God, uh, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, as it says uh, in the uh, ancient Jewish prayer, the Shema, uh, but also in the great commandment, the greatest commandment that Jesus uh, declares, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, but then also to love your neighbor as yourself, to love everybody. And we're going to unpack uh, that whole passage, but loving everybody. Now, that's the difficult bit, right? That's where it starts to come off the rails for most of us, uh, because loving everybody is almost impossible, right? Maybe it is impossible. Yes, it is impossible, because right now, this very moment, I'm actually thinking of a couple of people that I don't want to be, want them to be in the everybody column. Right? See, I, I'm all fine with love God, love everybody, but then there's a separate category for these people. <laughs> right? Because uh, these are the kinds of people that even right, say, now I'm starting to ruin my own Sunday, just giving them headspace, right? <laughs> you know, these are the kind of people that have wounded uh, either me, and more importantly, this is where it really gets us, right? People who hurt those that we love. Well, I mean, you can, you can wound me, and, I'm, and I might get over it, but you hurt somebody I love, man, I'm coming after you, Right? I mean, it's scorched earth. Let's take off the gloves. We're going, right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that most of us, that's where we live and breathe. You know, it's difficult for us uh, to love everybody when the everybody includes some of these people. Maybe some of y'all have started to ruin your own Sunday as you began thinking about the people in your life that you wish were not in the everybody column. So it is almost impossible. It's overwhelming to think about the idea of loving everybody, and yet... That is what Jesus calls us to do. So how do we pull this off? I mean, how in the world are we able to love everybody? Because the big idea that we have today is one that is difficult for us to embrace. It's difficult to put our arms around, but we're going to do this today. The one thing I want you to know is you can't truly love God without loving everybody God loves. <laughs> oh, I wish that wasn't true. Right? But how do we do this? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack this, and we're going to dig around in the passage of Scripture that we've been focused on for the past couple of weeks. Uh, and I want us to do this together. And it is going to be challenging at times to hear some of the things that I'm going to say. And the reason why I know that is because it was challenging for me to say them when I was practicing this. And I'm, I mean, like, that's the first time that, that the sermon is heard is when I'm sitting in my office on Sunday morning and I'm saying these things out loud and I'm going, oh, dear Lord, <laughs> I got to do some repenting <laughs> before I even walk on that stage, right? Before I even walk up there. And even now as I'm, I'm working through this, I'm doing this with you. This is something that we are doing together. So let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Verses 36 through 40. Now, here's the backstory, just again, really quickly. Uh, there was a group of uh, religious elitists in uh, Jesus' day, uh, the Pharisees, and uh, we're going to learn a little more about them in a second. But uh, they hired an attorney to come and to uh, try to get Jesus to weigh in 
on a debate of the day. Like this was a debate in their day in the first century Judaism, uh, which is the greatest commandment. Because if you would weigh in on which commandment you thought was the greatest, then that pretty much determined which groups that you were in. Now there were 613 commandments essentially, uh, but they had kind of narrowed them down to a couple and where you weighed in on that determined how everybody else would sort of see you. And Jesus had eluded all of those boxes. I mean, he just confounded them, you know, because he wouldn't step into their traps and become just like these religious elites. And so this is what uh, happens. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And then Jesus completely uh, messes with him by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus doesn't play fair. He says, this is the greatest commandment, and this is the greatest commandment. You can't have one without the other. Everything depends on these two things, right? So what was going on here that, that prompted these uh, Pharisees and this particular attorney that had been hired by them to come and try to get Jesus to weigh in? Well, in first century Judaism, there was a huge debate that had basically settled into two camps. And so sometime, like maybe a generation before Jesus, there were these two rabbis. Uh, one, his name was Shammai, and he was a Sadducee, and the other was Hillel, who was a Pharisee. So Shammai, as a Sadducee, um, had a very narrow approach to the Torah. And, their, and his understanding of the Torah. This is the way the Sadducees thought, um, that, that the Torah was to be disseminated from the religious elites to the unwashed masses, uh, that they were to be told, uh, you know, this is the law, this is what you must do. And they believed so strongly in the sovereignty of God uh, that God was in control of everything, uh, that they believed that the most important commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. They also did not believe in a resurrection. They believed that this was it. Uh, so you get one shot at doing the things that God wants you to do uh, in this life, and that's all. Right? So they had a very narrow interpretation of uh, their understanding of what it meant to love God. The Pharisees, believe it or not, were the progressives within first century Judaism, which doesn't say a whole lot about first century Judaism in terms of its overall uh, expansive way of thinking, right? Uh, so if the Pharisees, which are the people that Jesus is always debating and always contending with because they're so uptight, if they're the ones that are liberal, we got a problem, right? So they actually believed in the resurrection, and they also believed that the most important commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So these two scholars, these two rabbis, Shammai and Hillel, if you, you know, lifted up one commandment, you were in the Shammai camp. If you lifted the other, you were in the Hillel camp. And then all of your theology would sort of fall in place. So the Pharisees are trying to figure out Jesus. The Sadducees are trying to figure out Jesus. He confounds them. He doesn't fall into their categories. And what he does is he basically says to both of them, you have distorted the law. You've distorted the word of God. You've distorted your mission. And here's the problem that you all have, essentially, is not only is this all about your effort, 
you're only focusing, because both the Sadducees and the Pharisees only focused on a certain group of people. That's all they were worried about. If you were outside of the Jewish context, if you were a Gentile, then they weren't concerned with you. Because really and truly in first century Judaism, it was all about the Jews. It was all about the Hebrew people. There was a nationalistic fervor that sort of ran underneath everything that they were talking about. Uh, this was a serious issue because it went far afield from the, the way that God had intended for his children, the people of Israel, to behave and to act. And they had devolved into something that was not what God wanted. And so Jesus is pointing all of this out. Uh, and so uh, when he shows them, kind of holds up a mirror and shows them uh, that this is what you're supposed to be, this is how you're supposed to do this, um, they would like a clarification, I'm sure, right? And so in the Gospel of Luke, there's a follow-up question, which actually rings so true to me because uh, there's not a single attorney that's worth their salt who, if given an opinion, would not have a response, Right? And so the response is to ask a question. In the Gospel of Luke, the attorney wants some clarification on what it means to be a neighbor. He's like, so you say that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Who's my neighbor? Because that's important, right? Because if you can determine and define who neighbor is, then everybody else, then I can just forget about it. Boy, that makes it easy because then I can have the everybody as long as everybody fits within my categories. There's other people, they're not in the everybody category, right? So this is what this attorney is wanting to find out, what Jesus means when he says neighbor. And so Jesus doesn't go into a long philosophical or theological discussion. He tells him a story. And you all know this story. It's a famous story. In fact, uh, Kaylee Gray, our pastoral intern, preached on this story uh, over the summer. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Even if you've not really been all that churchy in your life, you probably are familiar with the Good Samaritan story. It's about a guy who's on the road uh, to Jericho uh, and Jerusalem, and he gets waylaid by bandits, left for dead, beaten to a pulp. And there are two really religious Jewish people who walk right by him, right? A priest and a religious scholar. They can't be bothered to touch him because to do so would violate their religious rules. Their religion kept them from being the people that God wanted them to be in that story. And then Jesus said, but a Samaritan, which is like the worst thing he could have possibly said in that particular crowd. I mean, there would have been a gasp, right? Because Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Hated, like deep hatred. And he says, a Samaritan comes along and helps the guy, offers him mercy and generosity, and helps him find health right? And so when he asked the question, who was the neighbor, right, in this story? Like, who was being a good neighbor? The lawyer can't even say the words, the Samaritan. He says, the guy who helped him, right? <laughs> so what Jesus was doing is he was trying to get them and force them, really, to identify with someone that they couldn't possibly put in the everybody category. He forced them to identify with the person who did good, who did what was right, who did what God would have wanted them to do, who didn't let religion or enmities or political strife or whatever it was that separated people keep them from doing the thing that God wanted them to do, which was to be a neighbor and to see a neighbor. 
So as I was thinking about this this morning, I actually uh, I couldn't shake in this particular part of the sermon uh, the words of one of our own sort of prophetic voices uh, in American culture that for years and years and years, every single day just about during the, during the weekdays, spoke about being a neighbor. And that was Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, who was a Presbyterian minister, uh, kind of smug about that, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm also smug about the fact that he graduated. His, his seminary that he went to is one of my alma maters, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, so I'm kind of smug about that as well. But I, was, I wanted to share this particular quote from Mr. Rogers today. He says, if, only, if you could only sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to the people you may never even dream of, there is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. It's like Jesus was trying to share this with these people. Like everyone that you encounter, no matter who they are, has the potential to be your neighbor, has the potential to be a child of God, has the potential to be everybody. And so what Jesus wanted his followers to know and wanted us to know was simply this. You show your love for God in the way that you love everybody. Now, let's think through this just a bit as we start to unpack how you do this. The first thing that I want to do is to share Jesus' own words, uh, and I think this will help us as we move into the last part of the sermon where we start making some actionable items. So Jesus told his followers, like, this is how you begin the process of seeing the world differently. So this is what he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So Jesus uses a cultural understanding of the only way that light enters into the body is through the eyes. Of course, we know that that's different uh, now, but that's what they believed in the first century. And so he uses a cultural understanding to make an existential point, which is if you have clear vision, the kind of vision that is, is, uh, is only available when you want to see the world as God sees it, when you have that kind of vision, you don't look out into the world and see enemies and opponents and people who are against you rather than for you. You look out into the world and you see children of God. You see the world and you see people differently when your eyes are clear and your eyes are wide open. And then you will be filled with light as a result of that. So how do we see neighbors everywhere? How do we have everybody in the everybody column. Well, the first thing is this. We need to realize that every person that you meet is beloved, even the difficult ones, even the crazies, right? The ones who drive you absolutely nuts. So you know who I'm talking about. It's the person on Mopac who cuts you off and then inexplicably gives you the finger. <laughs> I'm like, dude, seriously? You're giving me the finger and you cut me off? Or, or even worse, it's the person that you get in line behind at HEB who's got three carts full of canned goods and Pop-Tarts and a duffel bag full of coupons, and they are obviously about to pay with a check. <laughs> Can I get a witness? 
<laughs> or it's that person who has already put out the political signs in their yard of that candidate that you would not even dream of voting for. Or it could be that it's the person in your life who has wounded you so deeply that you can't shake it. The person who lied about you at school or at work that has ruined relationships. It could be the person that has abused you physically, emotionally, ruined your childhood, ruined your adulthood, stolen your joy and your life, even them. There is no one beyond redemption. There is nothing and no one that is so broken that it will be forgotten. All are beloved by God. And that is a difficult thing to absorb. But embrace it we must. Second, we need to assume the best rather than expecting the worst. Because everybody has a backstory. See, most of us, we assume things about people. We'll meet them for the first time or we'll already have a preconceived notion because somebody shared something about that person or they did something that absolutely gave us a terrible first impression. And so we have these assumptions about people without hearing them, without listening to their story. I know this has happened to me so many times, but when I was thinking about it this week, there was one person that came to mind. I had a church member uh, in one of the churches I served um, that was one of the most difficult people on the face of the earth that I've ever had to deal with. She's one of those people that would show up late to a meeting after we'd already decided a bunch of stuff and then would just stir up stuff, you know, like raise controversial issues, mess the process up, make everybody miserable. Um, she took to sending me emails all of the time, uh, like really nasty emails, negative emails, always attacking me, always trying to tear down everything that we were doing. I mean, there was one month I went back and I counted 350 emails. And not one of them, nice. I couldn't stand this woman. I mean, she made my first couple of years at that church an absolute nightmare. I contemplated over and over again just going and working as a barista at Starbucks. I was like, man, I could get tips, all the coffee I could drink. I wouldn't have to deal with this. This would be amazing, right? So one day I decided, you know what? I need to figure out why she's so angry, like what's going on with her? I don't even know her, right? And so I, I, I kind of pigeonholed her somewhere. I got her, you know, where she couldn't escape. And I started talking to her and I asked her questions about her life. I asked her about her family, her husband, who I, I assumed just didn't want to come to church because, you know, she was so angry all the time. So this is what she told me. She shared with me how she had a son who had a severely disabled baby and, and his wife like left him with the child. And so her and her husband were having to help as multiple surgeries were done and how care had to be given and all this stuff was going on. Uh, and, and her husband, the reason why he didn't come to church is because he had debilitating illnesses and was losing his sight. And this woman was taking her family and putting them on her back and carrying them. And she did it imperfectly. But you know what? When I learned this, I found reservoirs of grace that I never knew I had. I began to see her differently because then I knew her story. I could assume the best rather than always expecting the worst. And maybe you've had that same kind of experience 
where you just didn't take the time to hear someone's story. And that's a way for us to be able to put them in the everybody category. And finally, you need to spend, suspend your need to be right for a while. The obsession with the need to be right in our culture is absolutely terrifying. In fact, um, it's so bad now that there are television news networks, multiple television news networks, that are based upon their interpretation of what rightness is, right? I mean, that's how far we've come because it's so important for us to be right. But sometimes being right gets in the way of having real and authentic relationships. Being right sometimes gets in the way of being healthy in our relationships and being able to put people in the everybody column and to love them. And so here's the thing. The people in your life that drive you nuts, the people whose political views make you want to scream and throw stuff, uh, the people who walk around being all holier than thou, who start every conversation with, well, the Bible says, people who have done things to harm you or harm your family, people who uh, you absolutely think they're in that other category, those kind of people, they're always like that. I can't stand those kind of people. I mean, all of those, the list is really long. I think I could probably sit here for a while and just keep going. But here's the point. The point is this. They all have something to teach you if you are willing to be taught. Every single one of them. Now, maybe what you need to learn is patience, right? And so as you enter into those relationships and, and you suspend your need to be right, you might be taught patience. You might be taught grace. You might be taught about what it means to be merciful. And here's something else. You also might be taught how not to act, right? You might be able to, if you suspend your need to be right, to just enter into a relationship and begin to see, that's not how I want to be. Because sometimes what happens to us is the things that give us a charge off of other people are the things that we worry are within us. And here's the other thing that can happen that you can be taught. You can also be taught about boundaries and how love Loving somebody sometimes means that there are boundaries because there are some people, if they have abused you, if they continue to abuse you, if they continue to revile you, if they continue to do harm to you, then you don't need to be around them. You can forgive them and set you both free and you can then begin to love them and put them in that everybody column because you have proper boundaries. These are the things that you can learn if you suspend your need to be right. All of these things are challenging, aren't they? But this is who we are called to be. We're called to be the kinds of people who love God and love everybody. Because you can't truly love God, truly love God, without loving everybody that God loves. And so as a community of faith, as a church, this is what we're dedicated to of being different, of loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and loving our neighbor who is everybody as ourselves. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us for the Pastor Cast. I hope that you enjoyed uh, that sermon. Uh, that was it's such a huge part of who we are as a congregation.
and a family of faith, and it is a joy to serve a church where that is our vision, to love God and to love everybody. Well, stay tuned. We'll be doing some more podcasts, more Pastor Cast coming up, and uh, look forward to then. Um, but until that time, stay safe, take care of one another, and be blessed. Bye-bye.